Welcome to For the Health of It with Dr. Jenny Brooke. You're listening to raw talk about full potential living to inspire you to eat, move, sleep, think, and live better. Welcome back, everybody. We're in the studio. I'm with my co-host, Kristen Myers. Hi, Kristen. Hello. When you can't hear producer Mike Clark, but he did say to me the other day, he's like, hey, we haven't done an in the news segment in a while. Is it time? And I said, okay, it's time. So this, this is what we do. We, I kind of scan through different periodicals, journals, websites um, for articles of interest, um, health related for the most part. And we summarize the article and then we just talk about it. So it doesn't necessarily mean we agree with the article or disagree with the article. Um, most of it's research-based. Um, so it just brings up topics that are interesting and sometimes shocking. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about, here's just a summary. We're going to talk about disinfectants and their link with asthma and infertility. We're going to talk about marijuana and the new research coming out linking it to schizophrenia and a few other things. We're going to talk about plasticizers in your drinks, and it's not just plastic water bottles. Oh, Mike's behind behind the glass with a big face because remember, <laughs> there was a show that we talked about plastics and how much plastic we consume that's in food. It's really crazy. Okay, so then we're going to talk about weight loss and sugar. I'm going to talk about articles that say why you should drink coffee. So that'll be interesting. Yes, thumbs up from, yeah. <laughs> from producer Mike. Um, we'll talk about problems that can arise in the body from a standing desk. Oh, yeah. Interesting. And how junk food rewires the brain and a few mm. other things. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's dig in. This article was on a website called The Defender. It was published in early May of this year um, by Environmental Health News, specifically Brian Vinkowski. So the title is Chemicals Found in Common Disinfectants Linked to Asthma, Birth Defects, and Infertility. So, okay, wow. Mm. Because, right, you know, we've had, disinfectants have had a moment, right? Yes. (laughs) Since the the COVID-19 pandemic began. And the article goes on to say, scientists were warning that this widespread use is spurring health problems, antimicrobial resistance, and harming the environment. So they'll go on to talk specifically about what's called quaternary ammonium compounds or quats and how that's linked to asthma, dermatitis, inflammation, infertility, birth defects, and other problems. So quoting the article, it's ironic that the chemicals we're deploying in vain for one health crisis are actually fueling another. That's Erica Hartman, co-author of a new study examining the dangers of disinfectants and an associate professor of civil and environmental engineering at Northwestern University. It was just published in the last month in Environmental Science and Technology, and it examined these quaternary ammonium compounds or quats that are used in disinfectants and personal care products. Mm -hmm. We'll go through what products they're used in. Um, And they are linked to asthma, dermatitis, inflammation, infertility, birth defects, and other problems. But they can also harm aquatic life. So that's Mm -hmm. a concern. I knew you wouldn't like that, Kristen. No. (laughs) And they can cause antimicrobial resistance, which can make drug resistance viruses and bacteria. So another quote, antimicrobial resistance was already contributing to millions of deaths per year before the pandemic, Hartman said. Overzealous disinfection, especially with products containing quats, threatened to make it worse. So, you know, here's the thing. Like in our office, we um, have disinfectant, but it's the Dr. Bronner's organic lavender. And, you know, I looked up the ingredients of that. It's 62%. Um, organic fair trade ethyl alcohol, water, organic glycerin, and organic lavender oil. So this is not all disinfectant. So we're talking like more intense cleaners that might be used, um, but it's worth looking at your your products because quats can be found in disinfectants, baby wipes, mm-hmm. eye drops, hair conditioners, fabric softeners, and some other products. So certain professions, so say like housekeepers, food, medical equipment preparation, dental assistants, and nurses, they're more highly exposed. Um, and to some extent, children and teachers um, have had elevated, elevated mm. exposure from what the cleaning products use in schools. Right. And you can tell like when you go in someplace and it's like overly disinfected, that smell, mm-hmm. I really yes. struggle with that. I was noticing that like during the pandemic in different like shopping places, you go to shop and 
it's almost like you're assaulted with the smell of chemicals. Yeah. Ah. So the most common quat is something called benzylconium chloride. But if you see the ingredients on labels that end in ammonium chloride, it's probably quats in the product. Mm. So that's what you want to look out for is ammonium chloride. So, you know, the biggest thing is, especially if you're, if you're going to have some more heavy-duty cleaners, um, make sure they're safer. So the authors recommend not using quat-containing compounds when the chemicals are unnecessary. They say soap and water usually do the trick. Nice, yeah. Right? Yeah. There you go. Simple. If you need a disinfectant, the University of Massachusetts Lowell has a guide to safer products. And I, the article talks about it. So I actually went to that website, and it's, it is good. Like, if you're looking for more intense cleaners and disinfectants. So I'm going to put the link to that in the show notes. Um, and again, if you're looking for more intense cleaners or disinfectants, the University of Massachusetts Lowell has created a really good guide to follow. Um, I think it's good to know. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to switch gears. And now we're going to talk about um, something that was in the Epoch Times, Andrew McDiarmid. Um, it was in April of this year, published an article called Five Ways to Keep Your Home a Sanctuary in the Digital Age. Mm, I like that. Yeah, we've talked about this a little bit. So yeah. obviously, this is more of an opinion article. It's not as um, research focused, but I thought it was worth spending some time on it because I the, we're kind of going this direction, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and the point he makes is what I'm super... Um, interested in. So I'm going to read it to you. He says, after a busy day, there's nothing quite like coming home. It's the headquarters of our private sphere, a sanctuary made sacred by our most intimate relationships. It's a safe place that shields us as we let our guard down and practice being ourselves. Up until the early decades of the 20th century, most companies and institutions abided by the unwritten rule that the family home was off limits. He goes on to say that the family home was shielded from the commercial bombardment to which one was subjected in public. But with the advent of the telephone, mm -hmm. radio, and television, that slowly began to change. So you think about that, your home is your space. And the outside world has really been seeping into our homes, right? Mm. So high-speed data connections, endless entertainment options, right? Big tech gets pride of place through smart appliances, digital mm. assistance, right? Like, hey, Siri, right? right? Yes. And other connected devices. And so we're, when we're not watching TV, our phones, our tablets, our computers, they're always close by, mm -hmm. right? So that line between public and private has blurred and mm -hmm. home is fast becoming an extension of the marketplace, mm, yeah. right? And he says, this advance into our place of refuge is affecting our relationships and our well-being. And he goes on to talk about a mental health crisis. And for all our modern comforts, we're not a very happy bunch. We're, mm -hmm. not, we're not as happy in our home. And so he talks about the five ways to reclaim your home. So I like this. Yeah, I think this I like is this important, too. right? Because we get to control that, right? Yeah, 100%. So number one was to create an unplug box. So we talked about it's crucial to separate ourselves from our devices. So just putting your phone in your pocket is not enough, right? Because <laughs> yes. alerts, notifications, it's tempting. And we get this like dopamine fix, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like an addiction. So in order to, to not have that, we need to separate. So research shows that having your phone near your body can reduce cognitive function. Wow. Yeah, we're actually smarter if we just take time away from it. Um, so he talks about an unplugged box, and he recommends a small wooden box large enough to house your family's smartphones and tablets. He can make one or buy one, um, use it at mealtimes, or use it the last few hours before bed, or maybe try going a whole day or even a whole week screen-free. Um, putting your family's screens aside will bring more clarity and commitment to your family time. And mm -hmm. he uses the phrase, stay boss over your gadgets. <laughs> nice. And I think for some people, like the anxiety from even just considering that. I was going to say a day, let alone a week for some people. Huge. Yeah. And he's talking about in the home, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. for work and when you leave, that's one thing. But um, yeah, just something to throw out there. I you think know? you'll have more connection with your family too yes. with that box. Yeah. Absolutely. And number two, ditch the digital assistants. So he says it's easy to want one, right? You want a digital assistant because it's instant access to information, music, home mm -hmm. commands. It all sounds handy, but the long-term disadvantages of gadgets like the Amazon Echo or Google Home far outweigh the short-term benefits. So he says, take your family's privacy. Digital assistants can collect a range of data from your home, including voice recordings, usage habits, floor plans, user information, and more. Companies use this daily data to compile a comprehensive record of your behavior at home so they can sell you more products. 
And his statement was, no corporate entity deserves such an intimate window into your family's personal life, right? Anything that connects to a network can also be hacked. So its own kind of havoc, right? So your family's ability to learn is at stake. Robert Bjork, the director of learning and forgetting lab, that's interesting, the director of the learning and forgetting lab at UCLA. (laughs) Cool. He says, learning needs to have difficulty to be effective. The more students have to exert their mental muscles to learn a concept or recall an idea, the stronger their memory and learning will become, Mm. right? So Mm -hmm. he says, we lose lose motivation if we can just ask the device, right? The more reliant on quick information access we become, the more we use it. And over time, this can lead to entitlement and intellectual laziness. (laughs) Defend the privacy and well-being of your family by saying no to digital assistance. Mm. Interesting. Okay, so then we have some solutions. The first one is to play games together. I tell you, this is something my family's pretty big on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we like it. And He says, while everyone is having fun, they're also practicing communication, teamwork, and good sportsmanship. It's true. So Mm -hmm. I made a list of of what we actually do in my home. So I have um, 19, almost 20, and 22-year-olds in my home. So any like last night, I think there was six (laughs) kids between 19 and 23 in my home. What we tend to play is Catan, Boggle, Bananagrams, Exploding Kittens, Uno, and Rummy. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because there's yeah. all these games for little kids. Right. You know, Guess Who was a big favorite. Oh, yeah. Um, I love Sorry. That was a big yes. one. Battleship was big in our house. Yep. Monopoly, Risk, the game of life. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I keep hearing about this game called Ticket to Ride. It's supposed to be really good. Oh, never heard of that. Yeah. So, you know, and that's just all like sit down games. You know, we, you've heard me talk about we, we do the Christmas Olympics every year in yes. my house. So sometimes we do actual physical games too. So fun. Um, so yeah, just it's just a habit, right? You just get out of the habit of doing it. So sometimes we'll say, "Hey guys, let's have a game night tonight." And and every and, you know, and what happens is their phones might be near them, but mm-hmm. you can't you can't be on the phone if you're playing a game. You just right. can't. It's just too much. And if somebody starts to not pay attention in the game, we all call them out. We say, "Put your <laughs> phone, like, get your phone out of here, right?" Because nice. you need to be present. Yeah, be, exactly. So the fourth thing is to read together. Um, this kind of makes more sense for young families. Um, he says, like flossing your teeth, reading aloud as a family is a simple activity that comes with a lot of benefits. Um, more larger vocabulary, more perceptive, more motivated to succeed in school. He talked about vary it up, not just read to your kids, but give them a chance to read to you. Mm, yeah. I did this every night with my kids. In fact, each of my kids separately heard the entire Harry Potter series through my voice when they were little, oh yeah, we read so much. And then they would start to read to me, especially when they were learning to read. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually have read stories out loud to my husband. So sometimes if we're both on devices, he'll be like, hey, can I read you this article? Or if I'm reading a book, I'll be like, can I read you part of this chapter? Um, But the act of reading out loud is is good. And then lastly, I don't know how I feel about this one. Okay. He says, go retro to stay rooted. So he was talking about literally having retro technology in your house um, more as replicas or reminders. So he said like a 1960s telephone, a Viewmaster, <laughs> a turntable, um, a facsimile copy of Webster's 1828 American Dictionary, Dictionary of the English <laughs> Language on yourself, a real lawnmower, an Apple Press, an antique radio, a typewriter, antique school desk, a pair of World War II binoculars, mm. um, to take the heirlooms out of the attic and showcase them. Hmm. That was kind of interesting. Yeah. I don't know if I'll actually do that. My home's a little too modern for that. (laughs) I don't know. Would you do that? I don't know. Maybe a few things if they have like a family connection. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely if there's a family connection. I don't think I'd go like antiquing just for the purpose of doing that. Yeah. No, I agree. (laughs) But if you had something, it is interesting. I I do like the old typewriters. Those really cool looking old typewriters. I would totally do that. I would probably a record player. Mm, Yes. That would be fun. Okay. So moving on. Um, This one is. U.S. World News, World Report, um, brought to you by Health Day. It was May of this year. And it I probably won't be popular for this but because people don't want to talk about the negative effects of marijuana. Mm. But this is an article called Marijuana Users Have Triple the Odds for Leg Artery Disease, Study Suggests. Yeah. yeah. So they're talking, it looks like, specifically about smoking weed. Okay. Um, which did you know, Kristen? You don't say pot. 
That's what was said when I oh, was like no, younger. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I got rem- I got I got corrected. Oh, okay. you don't say pot, you say weed. Oh, okay. Anyway, so we'll just say marijuana. Okay, <laughs> I'm so old. So okay, so the article says smoking cigarettes has long been linked to peripheral artery disease. So peripheral just means mm-hmm. not towards the heart. So like it, the arteries in the legs, mm-hmm. a condition where the buildup of plaque narrows arteries and limits blood flow to the legs or arms. So when you have a heart attack, it's the same idea, mm-hmm. but it's it's the plaque it's that is in the arteries further down in the body, so mm-hmm. in the legs. So limiting blood flow to the legs or arms. So it says, now a new study suggests that marijuana may have a similar impact to smoking after Mm. finding that users had three times the risks of developing PAD or peripheral artery disease. They did not test it in like infused gummies. Um, It was specifically smoking. Okay, yep. Um, it says marijuana users should seek early evaluation by a healthcare professional if they have symptoms such as leg pain while walking, slower or no hair growth and coldness in the leg. Hmm. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, good to know. Um, so this this was the U.S. national inpatient samples from 2016 to 2019. So more than 620,000 of the 30 million patients were marijuana users. So this is big study. Mm-hmm. They had an average age of just over 37. Among them, more than 2,400 also had this PAD or peripheral artery disease. Mm-hmm. It says... It's possible marijuana use changes how blood clots or affects peripheral vascular tone, the study hmm. authors suggested. Yeah. So let's a little bit more about this. So this guy, his name is Robert, Dr. Robert Page. He's a professor in the departments of clinical pharmacy and physical medicine at the University of Colorado and Schutz Medical Campus in Denver. He cautioned that the study shows an association and not a cause and effect link. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's just an association, meaning it doesn't always cause that. So there might be some other factors. Yeah. And it's he said it's known that THC, that's the component of marijuana that makes you feel high. It They've known a long time that that affects blood platelets in a test tube setting, right? So what it does suggest is that, to put in layman's terms, is that the THC can make platelets angry. And when they get angry, they aggregate. And when they aggregate, that can lead to what we call thrombosis or a blood clot. Mm. And in 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 individuals who are smoking cannabis, it creates the same types of carcinogens and tar as smoking. Mm. So these byproducts can harm the tissue that's surrounding the blood vessels or inside the vessels. So both THC and CBD can also negatively affect the tone of the vasculature. So THC can stimulate receptors in the brain that trigger a narrowing of blood vessels, he said. Wow. Yeah. He says... Uh, he's quoted, I think it adds to the literature, particularly in younger adults, that we're seeing an increased risk for ischemic stroke. And we're also seeing an increase in early first time stroke in younger adults between the ages of 18 to 40, where you wouldn't think of that. Right. And he added, it's been associated with early myocardial infarction or heart attack in young adults to the point that we believe perhaps that smoking cannabis could be just as bad as smoking cigarettes in terms of leading to a heart attack. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's concerning. That is. And you know, this is all new because it's one of those things where like when f- when smoking first came out, everyone's like, oh yeah, it's good for you. Mm. They were doctors actually talked about how it was good for you. Yeah, and yeah. it wasn't too, until more studies were done that we started to think, oh geez, like the benefits of smoking don't outweigh the, the mm-hmm. negative effects, right? And, right? and I wonder at times where we're going we're going to be with with cannabis, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so obviously he said it's a red flag. He said the research will be presented in May. So it just happened okay. at the Society for Cardiovascular Angiography and Interventions annual meeting in Phoenix, Arizona. So there will probably mm-hmm. be more research that's done. Sure. This is very new. That's coming, yeah. And this leads us into the next um, article that is similar. So this one talked, it was a whole research study that was linking heavy cannabis use um, to schizophrenia particularly in young men. It was in Health News, Epoch Times, Jang Nigen. Um, a new study has found that young men with cannabis or marijuana use disorder, or CUD, could have an increased risk of developing schizophrenia. So you know how they say it's not, it's not addictive? Mm-hmm. Well, what they're calling cannabis use disorder is basically defined as the inability to stop using marijuana despite negative impacts on one's health and social life. So they're using it and there's a way it's it's clear it's becoming a negative impact, but they won't stop. Mm-hmm. So it could be a mental addiction to yeah. it, right? Yep. So the research was published in May in the journal Psychological Medicine. 
And it's, it was pretty big. It examined the health records of 6.9 million people in Denmark between the ages of 16 and, 40, and 49 from 1972 to 2021. So the research found an association between CUD or cannabis use disorder and schizophrenia among men and women. But the association was much stronger in men because fewer women are subject to CUD than men. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Um, some studies suggest the possible cause of this length is due to heavy use or the increase in potency. So this is interesting. So they measure potency of marijuana by THC, right? Or delta mm-hmm. 9 tetrahydrocannabinol. <laughs> tetrahydrocannabinol. Okay. So according to the report, THC levels increased from 13% in 2006 to 30% in 2016 in Denmark. So how strong it is. So if you smoked marijuana in the 70s, -hmm. it's not the same as what is smoking now. It's gone way up, right? And the potency in cannabis products was typically less than 2% prior to the 80s, but currently potency is commonly used oils and edibles reaching upwards of 95%. Holy moly. Yeah, so it's it's just not the same thing, right? Yeah. So the study is really adding to our growing understanding that cannabis use is not harmless, right? Mm. And according to the CDC, an estimated 3 in 10 marijuana users have this cannabis use disorder. So 3 in 10 people. And last year, the U.S. cannabis market, this is crazy, size was valued at $13.2 billion. By 2025, it's expected to be worth more than $45 billion. It's a huge industry, right? Wow. And so this, in, in case you're wondering, schizophrenia is a chronic, severe, and disabling mental disorder, and its symptoms can include delusions, disordered thoughts, and hallucinations. So important for people to start to see this, right? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so next in health news, Megan Drillinger from May of this year talked about, and it was fa- this was fact-checked um, by a different author, mm-hmm. study finds breath work may decrease Alzheimer's disease risk. Mm. Right? So yeah. quick summary, new study finds breath work may help decrease the risk of dementia. Participants took part in simple breathing exercises twice a day for four weeks. And at the end of the study, researchers found lower levels of key proteins associated with Alzheimer's disease in their blood. Love it. Isn't that great? Yes. And, you know, I'm not going to go into all the details because I think all that you really need to know is that it was a really good research um, article. Like they, the research was, was quite impressive. Mm. And um, it was just done with a, a smaller number of people. So the next plan, of course, is to do a larger scale. But they were able to measure blood chemicals that tend to lead to Alzheimer's. And those blood chemicals went down when people started doing breathing exercises in as little as four weeks. Wow, that's awesome. You know, we've done so many breath workshops. Yes. <laughs> uh, our breath podcast. It's yes. so interesting to see how it really affects your physiology. Definitely. So I, that encourages me to want to do some deep breathing a couple of times a day. <laughs> and then before break, one more thing. There's um, Epoch Times, Jesse Zeng in May of this year. Study of popular drinks found 95% contain plasticizers. Oh my gosh. That's not fun. That's a lot. Um, But there's some interesting things. So listen to this. These Spanish researchers have found in a study of 75 drink samples that nearly all contain plasticizers. That means it's a chemical coating that give plastics their bendy and soft form. Mm. And the more the sugar, the more plasticizer it had. Okay. Mm -hmm. So plasticizers are polymer materials that are added to plastics for desired flexibility and durability, Mm -hmm. right? Um, We also know them as BPA. Mm -hmm. So when you see something that says BPA free, that's good. And phthalates being the most common. So they're also used in daily items like food storage containers, canned foods, even toiletries. Um, And excessive amounts in our food can cause serious damage to the liver, kidneys, and reproductive system. Mm -hmm. Also linked to miscarriages, birth deformities, and even cancer. So published in Environmental International, the researchers analyzed water, cola, juices, wine, and hot drink samples and found that this is big. Regardless of the packaging, added sugar was found to make the most significance, meaning Mm -hmm. whether it was in a glass bottle Mm -hmm. or in a plastic bottle, the higher the sugar content, the higher the plasticizers. You're like, how could that be? (laughs) How could that be? Right? Yes. 
So glass bottle can wasn't critical in determining the plasticizer level in drinks. So they found that plastic coating on the metal caps of glass bottles releases eight separate compounds into the drinks. And in the case of one brand of juice, the glass bottle contained 10 times higher plasticizer levels than the other packages. What? Yeah, so just wow. the plastic coating on the metal top. That's so, crazy. so the the thing here was, it's not even so much the drink, it's the bottle, the container itself. Mm-hmm. It's the level of sugar, sure, in the beverage. Yeah, in the beverage. Wow, crazy. Wow. Yeah. Okay, okay, we're gonna take to <laughs> we're gonna take a break, chew on that for a minute, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about weight loss and sugar. We're mm. gonna stay on the sugar track. Yeah. You're listening to raw talk about full potential living for the health of it. Your host is Dr. Jenny Brooke, vitality expert and wellness chiropractor at SCC Chiropractic and Vitality Studio in Amherst, New Hampshire. If you are in the Southern New Hampshire area, mention this podcast and schedule a health checkup at SCC for special podcast pricing. Call or text 673-5600. That's 673-5600. For more information about SCC, go to sccvitality.com or call 673-5600. Learn about wellness chiropractic, massage therapy, the naturopathic doctor, red light therapy, and more. Now back to Raw Talk about full potential living for the health of it. We're back and we're doing an in the news segment where I summarize articles that are interesting, mostly research-based, and we just talk about them. Okay, so this one was um, online at CNN and the title is, Don't Use Sugar Substitutes for Weight Loss. World Health Organization advises. Mm. So partly I think it's interesting that the WHO organization is the one that's advising this. Yeah. Um, you know, I always kind of find it interesting to see what they're going to say. Um, they say, don't use sugar substitutes if you're trying to lose weight. Okay. The global health body said a systematic review of the available evidence suggests the use of non-sugar sweeteners does not confer any long-term benefit in reducing body fat in adults or children. So you hope people say, well, I'm going to have the diet soda because I'm trying to mm-hmm. lose weight, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's the scenario here. Um, the review also indicated that there, that there might be potential undesirable effects from the long-term use of sugar substitutes, such as an increased risk of type 2 diabetes mm. and cardiovascular diseases. They say replacing free sugars with non-sugar sweeteners does not help with weight control in the long term. People need to consider other ways to reduce free sugar intake, such as consuming foods with naturally occurring sugars like fruit or unsweetened food and beverages. You know, it just comes back to don't eat sugar. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. Like every, okay. How many times have we had a conversation it just comes yes. back to like, don't eat a lot of sugar? Totally. Right? Um, he said, this should not be interpreted as an indication that sugar intake has no revel- relevance to weight control. Instead, one should cut back on using sugar-sweetened drinks and try to use raw or lightly processed fruit as a source of sweetness. And it's so funny, Kristen, when we've done, we've led the cleanses. Yeah. People, the biggest concern is how am I going to stop sugar? Mm-hmm. And then yes. once they stop, they don't even like it. Like no. you taste it and you're like, oh, yeah, it's, it's so true. So they had a total of 283 studies included in this review. So it was, it was pretty extensive. Mm-hmm. The recommendation included low or no calorie synthetic sweeteners and natural extracts, which may or may not be chemically modified. So acesulfame K, aspartame, Adventame, cyclamates, neotame, saccharin, sucralose, stevia, and stevia derivatives. Mm. Um, many people consider stevia to be more natural, right? Because it's derived from the stevia plant. Mm-hmm. Um, some natural and artificial sweeteners add bulking sugars to their products to cut their sweetness and add bulk to the product for baking. Mm. So a recent study by researchers at the U.S.-based Cleveland Clinic found erythritol which is used to add bulk or sweeten stevia, monk fruit and keto reduced sugar products, mm-hmm. was linked to blood clotting, stroke, heart attack, and early death. Oh, what? Okay. <laughs> People with existing risk factors for heart disease, such as diabetes, were twice as likely to experience a heart attack or stroke if they had the highest levels of erythritol in their blood. So they recommend, and I agree with this, train your taste buds. So if you Mm -hmm. gradually cut back on sugar, including artificial sweeteners, and include more protein and fiber-rich foods in your diet, that can help you crave less sugar. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I was going to say even too, um, just eating whole foods like sweet potatoes or carrots, things that are just naturally a little sweeter to kind of curb that for yourself too. 
Well, and your body is getting a full nutrient. So it's exactly. not searching. You're not having the, the munchies because your body's yes. nutrient deficient. Exactly. It's so true. Um, they were talking about drink coffee and tea with no or fewer sugars. Mm -hmm. So be careful at coffee shops, they suggested. All those lattes and flavored oh, yeah. coffees can have as much sugar as a can of soda or more. Enjoy fruit for dessert. Try cinnamon baked apples. Those are really good. Mm -hmm. I made that recently. Nice. Um, berries are grilled peaches instead of cookies, cakes, ice cream, pastries, and other sweet treats. Um, added sugars, lastly, can go f by other names such as agave, brown sugar, corn sweetener, corn syrup, dextrose, evaporated mm -hmm. cane juice, fructose, fruit juice concentrate, fruit nectar, glucose, high fructose corn syrup, honey, invert sugar, lactose, malt syrup, maltose, molasses, <laughs> maple syrups, raw sugar, sucralose, sucrose, trehalose, and turbinado sugar. Hmm. Whew. And yep. you know, the higher up they are on the ingredient list, the, the greater amount of sugar. Yep. And I can say when I've cleansed, meaning no sugar for two to four weeks, mm -hmm. even just a little bit of honey or maple syrup in my coffee is too much. Yeah. It's, like it's, it's like, yeah, crazy. Blows you away. <laughs> it does. Instead, if I just even put a little bit of whole milk in, the mm -hmm. natural sweetness mm -hmm. in the whole milk is enough for me. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. so interesting. Yeah, it's amazing if you just allow your body the chance to just adjust, you know, the differences that you notice. So if you find yourself creeping up and adding more and more sugar, it might be time <laughs> to just back off. Yep. <laughs> just back off a little bit. So speaking of coffee, okay. I like this study. <laughs> this is a good study. Okay. Um, this is in Epoch Times, Ellen Wan in March of this year. The pros and cons of drinking coffee. Expert. Meaning expert advice here. Okay. So what are they saying? I'm curious about this. Yes. There's an, I mean, we're going to, I'm going to give you like the thing up front. It's all mm -hmm. about moderation. Sure. Right. Like right. you don't want to, like yes. more coffee isn't necessarily better. Yep. Um, but this is interesting because it's, it's based on some research. So lowers your blood pressure. So research paper published in Nutrients in January of 2023, they analyzed the data of more than 1500 people, half mm -hmm. men, half women, roughly. This was done in Northern Italy and it included people's coffee drinking habits, blood pressure levels, and other cardiovascular health-related indicators. The research shows that the systolic blood pressure of people who drink two cups of coffee daily is about 5.2 millimeters of mercury lower than those who do not drink coffee, right? So systolic blood pressure of people who drink more than three cups a day is about 9.7 millimeters of mercury lower, and similar trends are observed also in peripheral pulse pressure, aortic blood pressure, and aortic pulse pressure. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Lowers your blood pressure. It also reduces the risk of death. In a study published in the European Journal of Preventative Cardiology in 2022, researchers analyzed the data of 468,000 plus participants, ages 48 to 64, in the British Biobank, right? And about 11 years of follow-up, after 11 years, the researchers found that compared with people who do not drink coffee, people who drink one half to three cups daily are 12% less likely to suffer from all-cause death. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> the risk of death caused by cardiovascular disease is reduced by 17%, while the risk of stroke in the group is decreased by 21%. This amount of consumption is also associated with a lower likelihood of developing diabetes. So again, that was half cup to three cups a day. The researchers also analyzed the impact of regular coffee intake on human heart structure and function. P compared with the people who do not drink coffee, drinking one half to three cups daily is good for heart health as it increases blood circulation and delays age-related heart changes. Um, very important to note, this was done with ground coffee, mm. not instant coffee. Mm -hmm. Do people still drink instant coffee? I, I think so. Maybe? <laughs> yeah, don't drink instant coffee. Yeah. Everything I've read says instant coffee, like you don't get the benefits. Mm -hmm. um, also shows that it protects the liver. In the journal Frontiers in Pharmacology in December of 2021, researchers included 16 papers to analyze the relationship between coffee and the incidence of non-alcoholic fatty liver and the reduction of liver fibrosis. Hmm. Cool, huh? Yeah. Wow. Um, almost 3,000 patients. Results exhibit that coffee intake is significantly associated with a reduction of liver fibrosis. Compared with patients who did not drink coffee, the liver fibrosis of coffee patients lessened by 33%. Another study in BMC Public Health shows that the risk of chronic liver disease is reduced by 21% in people who drink coffee, while the risk of chronic liver disease or fatty liver is lowered by 20%. So it's good for wow. your heart and it's good for your liver. And I guess it comes back to it increases blood flow. 
Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. This is where I, I was like, whoa. Um, reduces the risk of contracting COVID-19. What? Oh, okay. Yeah. Compared with people who drank less than one cup of coffee a day, people who drank one cup, two to three cups, and four cups daily have a lower risk of contracting COVID-19 by about 10%. Yeah. Huh. The research team stated that coffee is the primary source of caffeine, which contains various immune-related ingredients. So poly mm. polyphenols in coffee have mm -hmm. antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties. Mm. So they were saying if it was just one cup, it didn't have a difference. It was for people who drank, or less than one cup didn't have a difference. So at least yeah. one cup up to th four cups. Wow. Um, they were saying it prevents cognitive impairment. Research at Edith Cohen University and other institutions in Australia published a report in Frontiers in Aging Neuroscience in November of 21. They found that people who consume a lot of coffee may not be susceptible to Alzheimer's disease. Wow. Um, they did say there's different problems if you drink too much, but again, in moderation. This was published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition in March of 2019. It was 350,000 people. Study found that those who drink more than six cups of coffee daily are 22% more likely to suffer from cardiovascular disease than those who drink only one to two cups a day. Mm -hmm. So there is a tipping point. Sure. It's all about balance. It's about yes. being mindful. Yep. And so to balance this article, um, this pharmacist chairman, I don't know if I can say his name, Sao Shunrong, he's from Taiwan. He said, there's five points. While coffee has a pick-me-up effect, it can also cause insomnia, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Coffee stimulates gastric acid secretion and will aggravate gastric ulcer symptoms. Mm -hmm. It's a diuretic, so more urination impacts sleep quality and dryness of the skin. So mm -hmm. it is really important to counteract that with water drinking. Yep. Coffee diuresis increases, basically because you go to the bathroom more, increases calcium loss, indirectly decreasing bone density. Mm -hmm. And coffee addiction will cause burnout or an inability to focus. Mm -hmm. Right. So they recommend not consuming more than 300 milligrams of caffeine a day, which is about two mugs and a maximum of four cups. Okay. Yep. Because I guess a mug is more, is more like two cups. That must yeah, be what they're saying. Yeah. People who often drink coffee should pay attention to increasing calcium supplements and exercise. Mm. Oh, my word. And then as a follow-up, because <laughs> this is also about coffee, in the Epoch Times, George, what's this guy's name? Citringer. In May of this year, coffee may be good for your eyesight. There was a whole study on oh coffee gosh. and eyesight, which I don't know if I have any benefits. <laughs> you know, I didn't drink coffee till I was 40. Yeah, I don't drink coffee. Yeah, I drink yeah. one. I would say almost every day I drink one cup, mm -hmm. not a mug, not a, like yeah, a cup. Sure, like cup. Um, and then maybe once or twice a week I have a second, but usually it's a matcha, which mm -hmm. is less or, or like a, something that's yeah. not as intense. Okay, so this guy says, research from the Center for Eye Research Australia found a link between coffee and tea consumption and the thickness of the macular retinal nerve fiber layer. Wow. This comprises nerve cells that carry visual information. So its thickness is an important indicator of the macula's mm -hmm. health. It's a small area in the retina's center responsible for clear vision, color perception, and the ability to see fine detail. So they had these 35,000 participants in the UK biobank. Um, goes on about that. Lots of people. Um, the participant's macular retinal nerve fiber layer thickness was measured non-invasively using optical coherence tomography it goes on and on. It basically says tea consumption also increased the thickness significantly, but only among participants who consume more than four cups a day. So if you're going to drink tea, wow. you need quite a bit of it. Yeah. But our findings indicate that if we consume two to three cups of coffee or more, than, or more than four cups of tea per day, the macular thickness will increase, hmm. which makes your eyes healthier. But again, fresh coffee, instant coffee mm -hmm. um, negated the, the benefits. So I, you know what I think? I think it's not so much the coffee, it's what people put in the coffee. Oh, yeah. I think quality of the coffee and what they put in it, yeah. Because for some people, the coffee is just a vehicle for sugar. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And definitely. dairy. <laughs> yes, most people. <laughs> right? Or the coffee itself has tons of chemicals in it. So, yes. you know, for me, I'm really careful about the quality of the coffee. Yeah, at, le at least if I can make it at home, right? Right. Um, I like a, a company called Purity mm -hmm. um, because it's the chemicals in the coffee. Yes. Which is why decaf can even be worse. It's the chemicals mm -hmm. in the decaf. Okay, moving on. We have two more. 
So this was interesting. This is an opinion piece written by a chiropractor, Dr. Kevin Wong. Um, I just found it interesting as we keep hearing about this whole sit-stand desk, and I, yeah. I've recommended to a lot of patients to go from sitting to standing. Mm-hmm. So he's talking about the title is Standing Posture and Pain, What's the Link? Um, and it totally makes sense. So he goes on to say, you know, sitting has been called the new smoking when it comes to the wide-ranging health problems, which we've talked about. Yeah. Um, in fact, one in four American adults sits for more than eight hours a day, according to the CDC. Research has linked sitting for long periods of time with a number of health concerns. They include obesity, increased blood pressure, high blood sugar, excess body fat around the waist, and elevated LDL, reduced HDL cholesterol levels. Mm-hmm. So, we, I mean, we know that, right? right. So, the solution has been to stand, right? Mm-hmm. So, he goes on to say... They found that those who sat for more than eight hours a day with no physical activity had a risk of dying similar to that posed by obesity and smoking. So yeah, we get it. Sitting sucks. Terrible (laughs) for you, right? Mm. But so we stand and he says, you know, if you have the perfect posture, standing's good for you. So Mm -hmm. perfect posture in a perfect world, it's where the ankles, the knees, the hips, the shoulders, and the ear Mm -hmm. are all parallel to the ground, right? Yep. So there's benefits, right? You know, standing is beneficial for people because standing exercises muscles in the abdomen, buttocks and legs that are necessary to keep them upright for an extended period. Standing also burns about 50 more calories than sitting, right? Mm-hmm. And so he goes on to all these wonderful benefits. Um, and it started to become popular with standing workstations. And with them, though, came a whole new set of issues caused mm-hmm. by standing that people now have to overcome. Okay, interesting. And this is kind of how things work, right? We get all yes. excited about one thing and then we realize once we start doing it more that there's problems then- with with that. Yes. Yeah. Right. So pitfalls of standing. Um, every patient has some degree of dysfunction and instability of the foot's three arches. Mm. Right. So that's mm-hmm. critical information because it sets the stage for a patient's standing posture. So, you know, this, he goes on to explain, there's a picture that shows if you have excess pronation in the foot that makes the knee go in and brings mm-hmm. the hip out. And then you have a curvature in your low back and then your head tilts to the opposite side. Yep. So this, and we see this oh, yeah. all the time. Kristen, yes. you do the, the structural pictures <laughs> Yes. and you probably see these patterns, right? Oh, for sure. Um, we see the head in front of the shoulders, the shoulders roll yep. forward. Um, so he goes on to say this flatteral, flatter medial arch that drops one or both feet towards the floor creates a knock-kneed appearance because of too much internal tibia and femur rotation. Mm. The inferior tip pelvis leans toward the more pronated foot. So now one hip Mm -hmm. is higher than the other. That leads to a lateral curvature of the lumbar spine towards the flatter foot with a resultant slight curvature of the thoracic spine to the opposite side, throwing the shoulder height off in a body's attempt to keep the head level. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is the feet themselves don't necessarily hurt. Oh, yeah, right. Right. But it's (laughs) this kind of like effect that goes up the whole body. So his recommendations, which are totally in line with what we do, is Mm -hmm. one, chiropractic adjustments on a regular basis to correct where the body is locked up and try to change the pattern. Mm -hmm. Secondly, if there's truly fallen arches, especially if it's there's a fallen arch on one foot and not the other mm-hmm. to prescribe custom three arch flexible orthotics, um, which we have the machine to do that in our office. And what's interesting is, is the, to do the scan, there's no charge. And mm-hmm. we really like our patients to do the scan because if there's something major going on in the feet, it will impact our ability to impact their spine right, right. in a big way. And sometimes we'll see it change over time. So we'll mm-hmm. keep an eye on it. And if things aren't changing, then we'll recommend orthotics. Yeah. Um, but huge difference. Like you can see the posture just dramatically. It's like a oh yeah, definitely all the way up. Yeah, I take photos sometimes. You know, with people without their orthotics and with them in, and there is a huge difference in it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's big. Um, third, encourage sedentary workers to vary their positions. So mm-hmm. I think this is the goal. So say you have a sit stand desk, you really need to change. Like sit sometimes, stand yes, sometimes. I agree with that. The other thing I find is that when we stand, we tend to want to lean on one foot or the other. I was just going to say, are you standing square and even on both legs or shift it? Yes. Yeah. And sometimes you can put a small stool or even Mm -hmm. like a couple old phone books or something in front of you and put one foot up on the stool and keep the hips level so you're not leaning into one way. And that takes the pressure off the low back. Yeah. Um, And then fourth, he recommends 
exercises that range from stretching, strengthening, and cardiovascular. So basically, the more we build up the strength in the body, which again oh, is yeah. part of our care, is giving patients specific exercises for their for spine. Sure too. So it was nice to see a really well um, written article on the the whole dynamic of that, and mm. just to kind of recognize, oh, I thought standing would be better for me, and now my whole body hurts more. <laughs> yes, yeah. Right. Okay. So lastly, you ready? Yeah. This is by my my um, colleague, Dr. Joe Mercola. Mm. He talks, it was May of this year. He talks about how junk food rewires the brain. Mm. I mean, we kind of know that, but he goes into the science behind it, which is cool. super interesting. So researchers found participants who ate high fat, high sugar snacks experienced changes in neural encoded responses. So they no longer preferred low fat, low sugar snacks, and they subconsciously preferred a lot of fat and sugar. So the addictive component, right? Um, Data showed, and I'm just summarizing it here, I'll go over the details, but data showed binging on sugar for just six weeks, maybe what'll happen over the holidays, right? (laughs) Can slow brain function, memory, and learning. Mm. That's why kids come back and they literally aren't as smart for a while, (laughs) right? One study showed sugar affected the reward system in a manner similar to that of drugs of abuse. Eating junk food for one week can impair your appetite control. Data mm-hmm. also show the more sugar you eat, the lower your nutrient intake, which makes sense. Right. Eliminating sugar is a quick and clear route to better health. Metabolic flexibility is a key to better health. It also is important to avoid industrial vegetable oils or seed oils, margarine, shortening, and any fake butter and spreads. Mm-hmm. Instead, choose from a list of healthy fat foods that include olives, avocados, and coconut oil. So there's this whole documentary. It's a BBC documentary called The Truth About Sugar. Mm. This crate, this just freaked me out. One serving of pad thai noodles has nearly nine and a half teaspoons of sugar. Recently, I went, we, it was a large family gathering. I didn't get to choose the place. Mm -hmm. It was at like a local Chinese, Japanese type restaurant. I didn't, I I was looking for something healthier. I didn't really want a lot of rice. So I ordered Mm -hmm. pad thai. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was eating a plate of sugar. Oh my gosh. I felt it. Like it was just so much sugar. Yeah. Yeah. A package of sweet and sour chicken with rice has 12 and a half teaspoons of sugar. Mm. A serving of dry bran flakes at breakfast that many think is a healthier choice has three teaspoons of sugar. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like cakes and candies and cookies, you know, sugars and everything. Everything. Yes. Yeah. Even baby foods and baby formulas contain a shocking amount of sugar that can set your child along a lifelong path of sugar addiction and health problems. Yeah, that's wild. It's crazy. There was one 2020 study he, he quotes examined samples of infant formula available in 11 countries and found most were higher in carbohydrate, sugar, and lactose than breast milk, and many contain more sugar than a glass of soda. That blew my mind. I, yeah. yeah, I can't believe that. Yeah. And then we wonder why these kids have a sweet tooth, right? Mm-hmm. So he goes on to say the featured study published in Cell Metabolism was performed by researchers at the Max Planck Institute for Metabolism Research in Cologne, Germany, in collaboration with a team of scientists from Yale University. The researchers sought to understand the underlying mechanism between eating foods high in fat and sugar and the associated risk of obesity and altered brain dopamine function. Mm. It all comes back to dopamine. Yeah. The researchers questioned whether the brain alterations were pre-existing and thus increased a person's susceptibility to weight gain because they were more apt to eat foods that were high in fat and sugar, or if the brain changes were directly attributed to exposure to diets that were rich in fat and sugar. So they use a randomized controlled study, engaged 57 normal weight individuals for a period of eight weeks during which one group was exposed daily to a high fat, high sugar snack and the other to low fat, low sugar snacks in addition to their usual diet. At the conclusion, the data showed those who consumed high fat, high sugar snack had a lower preference for low fat foods, had an increased brain response and had associative learning independent of food cues or rewards. So basically we train our brain to like certain foods. Mm -hmm. So if you're feeding your children junk food, we're training their brains to only prefer junk food. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I noticed that with my pets too. Like you train, you train their brains to see what they want. It's so crazy. (laughs) Right. They discovered those who ate a high fat, high sugar snack had neural encoding responses that were more enhanced than those eating a low fat, low sugar snack. Mm. And they weren't related to like age or sex or fat mass or anything mm. like that. Mm-hmm. So according to a press release from UCLA Health, binging on sweets and sweetened beverages for as little as six weeks can make you stupid. 
<laughs> and you know, okay. I, we've all kind of been there. Like, we'll just kind yeah. of get off, like get yeah. off our rhythm. Like maybe we have relatives in town or we go on an extended mm-hmm. vacation. It's crazy. Our findings illustrate that you eat, what you eat affects how you think. Mm. Right? Yeah. And they call yeah. it dopamine hits. Mm-hmm. And this paper's senior writer spoke to a reporter from Inverse and saying, sugar alters brain circuitry in ways that are similar to, for example, cocaine, which is well known to alter the dopamine and opioid systems in the brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to be drug free, you can't eat junk food. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> it suggests the presence of fat could ameliorate some of the addictive effects. So they're recommending, you know, if you have a deficiency in omega-3, that can make things worse for you. So eating, you know, quality high fat foods that are healthy. Um, It says excessive amounts of sugar also trigger other brain changes, including impairing spatial memory and inhibiting neurogenesis in the hippocampus, the area of the brain that's involved in learning and memory process. Mm. An animal study also showed a high sugar diet alters inhibitory neurons in the prefrontal cortex where decision-making and impulse control are centered, which makes sense. You give a child (laughs) sugar and it's like, they think they can do anything. (laughs) (laughs) If your child's not under control, they have too much sugar. If you're not under control, (laughs) you have too much sugar. Um, it says you're likely to find that after not eating junk food for several weeks or months, the products don't hold the same appeal and are not as tasty. Mm-hmm. This is 100% true. Oh, yes. In fact, they might taste gross. Oh, yeah. It's so true. If you suspect that you're addicted to sugar or junk food, the recommendation is to clean up your diet. And the key is eating foods high enough in healthy fat and low in refined carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. So they recommend olives, olive oil, omega-3, fatty oil or fish, Mm -hmm. um, low in mercury, like wild-caught Alaskan salmon, sardines, anchovies, butter made from raw grass-fed organic milk, raw nuts, such as macadamia and pecans, Mm. seeds like black sesame, cumin, pumpkin, flax, chia, and hemp seeds, Mm -hmm. and everyone's favorite, avocados, (laughs) grass-fed meats, MCT oil, ghee, which is clarified Mm -hmm. butter, or actual lard and tallow, uh, raw cacao butter, which is Mm -hmm. good, organic pastured eggs, um, and coconut oil, which is really good for cooking because it can withstand high temperatures. Yes. There you go. We ended on a high note. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right? Makes (laughs) you just want to go buy avocados. Yep. (laughs) Love avocados. Okay. Well, we hope I just, you know, a little bit of entertainment there. Yeah. Break up your day and help you get off your sugar and drink a little bit of coffee with (laughs) some some healthy milk in it, right? (laughs) Be well, everybody. You've been listening to Raw Talk about full potential living for the health of it. Your host was Dr. Jenny Brooke, vitality expert and wellness chiropractor at SCC Chiropractic and Vitality Studio in Amherst, New Hampshire. Mention this podcast and schedule a health checkup at SCC with special podcast pricing. To schedule, call or text 673-5600. That's 673-5600. For more information about SCC Chiropractic and Vitality Studio, call 673-5600 or check out sccvitality.com. You can also find Dr. Jenny on Facebook at Spinal Corrective Center NH or Instagram at SCC underscore chiropractic. Thank you for listening to Raw Talk about full potential living for the health of it. <laughs>